welcome to Ezra Illusions. We are going to be doing Star Wars The Last Jedi, Episode 8. Episode 8, you should say, Before The Last Jedi. And this is not the podcast Episode 8. You probably knew that. And before we get into Star Wars, we're going to take care of a quick order of business. Uh, I am really bad at asking for this in episode descriptions or uh, certainly at the beginning of recording and... I mean, I really have no excuse because I could go back and edit it. I could certainly put it in the episode description. I could put uh, lots of things in lots of places. But if you enjoy Estrada Illusions, it would be so fantastic. And I'd be so grateful if you could uh, go to Apple and write a review, leave a rating. Leave a rating wherever. If you don't use Apple, I think Apple's only like a quarter of our audience. Uh, wherever you can leave a rating... If if the service you can't uh if the service you do listen to Esther Illusions on does not have a thing to rate, you can go find another one that does and just, you know, rate it there, rate it here, rate it there, rate it everywhere. I don't know. It would be really great if you did though. <laughs> Reviews for my comedy album, uh, Confessions for My New Vagina. Those are harder because a lot of the services don't really let you leave ratings or reviews but you can leave it on amazon which uh, i've asked some people to do that's been great so anyway if you like this podcast and you're like hey what i really love about this is ian doesn't do a lot of plugs for her own work you know here's a nice plug and if if you if you want a world without plugs then you can just uh you know give me what i want now and i'll forget about it <laughs> ask you and do, do an intro like this to start the episode, uh, I don't know, next year. Okay, Last Jedi. And the reason, you know, I, I've wanted to do this one since we had the big Mandalorian reveal, uh, Luke, in the season finale, the season two finale. Not the season finale of, I mean, we had the Book of Boba Fett that was that was kind of like Book of Boba Fett season one, and then we had some episodes that was like, okay, this is going to be the Mandalorian uh, season 2.5, kind of. Uh, I mean, we got a... a Basically, two full Mandalorian episodes within that seven-episode season. And one of them had a guy who, uh, a guy, he, he's, he's really, he's stirred up a lot of fan uh, controversies and fan debates over the years. This guy called, uh, like, Luke Starkiller? Uh, Skywalker, yeah, yeah, there we go. Skywalker, boy, that sounds, uh, I knew this ranch up in NorCal, this guy, uh, he calls himself a director, he's only directed six movies, though, over the, like, 50 years, yeah, he's got a ranch named that, I wonder if there's a coincidence, anyway, George, look, yeah, I, please don't message me saying, is that was his real name, yeah, I know all of that, that's a big fan, um, Last Jedi, in a lot of ways, it doesn't feel all that accurate to say that The Last Jedi is polarizing, which it is, but, I don't know, polarizing, you know, maybe it work, like, Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life is polarizing. That's different from calling The Last Jedi polarizing because I don't think there were that many bad faith actors really trying to go after Malick with his uh, really long, artsy movie. I've, you know, I've seen The Tree of Life six times. It's a popular one to play at when parties are kind of winding down and you want to get rid of, like, the last couple people who you want to leave and you want people who are going to stay and, I don't know, get stoned for the rest of the night. Uh you want to give them some entertainment. What do you do? You show them a really artsy movie, and that clears all those uh, all those not artsy fuckers. Gets them right the fuck out of there. Uh, yeah, The Last Jedi is not that kind of controversy. It's not... It, it, a lot of the controversy... It, in a lot of ways, it's very similar to Star Trek Discovery. You have people who love it. Then you have the people who hate it because they 
because it doesn't bear anything in resemblance to the the version of Trek, or in this case, Star Wars, that they want it to be. So it's not necessarily that they hate it because it's bad. They hate it because it's not what they want. And because of that, they think it's bad. And those are those are two sides of the equation. And then there's another side, which is, as a film critic, is most interesting to me, is, you know... Okay, there's things, generally speaking, there's things about a movie that's good, and then there's things about a movie that's bad, and the, the, you know, the rest of the, most movies, you're not looking at a character being like, that's not really what I wanted out of them, because I mean, most movies are not sequels, most movies are, you know, we hadn't seen Luke Skywalker in, uh, what's 1986 to 2017, I'm gonna do the math off the top of my head, but it had been a very long time. Lando, when we saw Lando again, and that had been the biggest gap. And before that, I just remember when Tron Legacy came out, uh, Jeff Bridges had... That, at the time, was one of the longest gaps, 1982 to... uh, I think that was 2010, and then we had Blade Runner. God, was Blade Runner also 1982? Okay, don't trust my numbers here. Long, long gaps. Blade Runner was longer, because that was like... Was that also 2017? I think it might have been end of 2017, and uh, that would have been the beginning of the 80s, too, for the first Blade Runner. Okay, so those are just all—there aren't that—I basically just named the whole category. There's not a ton of movies where you have a character who's just been off the grid for decades and then suddenly comes back. I I literally basically just named all the ones that are possible. And, of course, in this this heavy reboot world, that's not necessarily going to—we're going to see more and more of them coming up, but— I mean, this is somewhat kind of uncharted territory. And with that comes a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about what they sort of wanted, and then also alongside that, what they would have wanted had the character, like, not gone away for 40 years. And I think, really, when we're talking about Luke Skywalker, we have to narrow in on this idea. Because I grew up reading the Expanded Universe uh, novels. I've talked, especially in our Mandalorian, the weekly recaps we did for Season 2, I talked a lot about how the expanded universe made it, it, i'll always be very grateful for the way that it made me a better reader because i was able to read books that were written for people who were much older than me and i was basically like in first grade i read timothy zen's heir to the empire when i was like i mean how old's a first grader like seven or eight that's pretty young it's not a book for a seven-year-old but uh it was fun and i understood it because i knew the characters you know there's words when you're that young Anyway, people look, because people always look at the uh, Expanded Universe and they're like, oh, you know, you should read real novels, you're not these, you know, movie adaptations. I mean, it, they're not, it's, it's, nobody would confuse their prose for Cormac McCarthy or Toni Morrison or, or anybody, but uh, good stuff. There's good stuff there. And you know what? We need pulpy, you know, women, I mean... Uh, you don't see you don't see a lot of guys like in the supermarket. You don't see like western pulp westerns being sold like you would have de- a few decades ago. But you do see Harlequin romance is very popular. People expanded universe this that genre of sci-fi I'll always defend the lowbrow. But there's with that there's a generation of fans who grew up maybe not seeing Luke on screen, but Luke was a part of our lives. I. I I know Luke having the uh, Jedi Academy on Yavin 4, teaching Han's kids, Jason, Jaina, and Anakin, t- marrying Mara Jade, having Ben Skywalker. It's all really fun stuff. And it's not this old grumpy Luke who was away for a few decades and is now a hermit basically living on Ireland's version of Dagobah. That is 
what The Last Jedi gave us. It didn't give a generation of fans the fan service we wanted in having basically all of our... You know, I mean, the Expanded Universe, we're talking like... We're talking like a solid 20, 25. I mean, if, if you look at 1991's Heir, Heir to the Empire as kind of the, okay, let's take this seriously kind, kind of thing where they started to, you know, really invest in the supporting. I think that's pretty sure it's Mara Jade's first appearance, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Uh, I, I, I think the the uh, series, the broader, I mean, there's there's so many of them and they go into so many different corners of Star Wars lore, but... There was a bit more cohesion after that, and that followed basically through uh, very right up until basically when Disney bought the franchise in 2015, and it had taken on a lot of damage. I'm not, I'm not. You'll never hear me say they should have done the expanded universe because when when people say that, it's like, oh, do you really want them to do like Yusin and Vong, like uh, you know, Jedi New Jedi Order, like the Yusin and Vong, like I mean, that 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 stuff's pretty terrible. I mean, they killed Chewbacca. I mean, what the fuck? Chewbacca didn't die in the sequel trilogy. Okay, let's 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 not get in too into the weeds on that stuff. Um, all, that's all to say that hey, a lot of people had a lot of uh, interpretations of Luke Skywalker and the Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson didn't do any of that, and the result is you have all these angry insults, uh, some of whom are just racist against Kelly Marie Tran or John Boyega. I mean. The Canto Blight sequence gets so much shit. I actually, like, I gotta say, I don't think it's, like, that dumb. In... <laughs> I guess I, I forgot to kind of uh, just lay out the... Part of the reason why I want to do a solo episode of this, I mean, I, I could have found any number of guests to come on and talk about Star Wars, especially a mainstream Star Wars uh, movie. But here's the thing. This movie has always fascinated me and part of why I've, I've never been able to stop thinking about this is I know so many people who love The Last Jedi and I know a lot of people who hate The Last Jedi. I do not know that many people who basically I don't want to call my own level engagement indifference to The Last Jedi. I definitely have seen a lot of people who are like oh it's the best Star Wars. It's the best one since Empire. It's not any it's it's not in my top five. And I, I I think that's got to be rare that I'm one of the people who does not have it in the top five or the bottom five. And that's not to say that I think either side of the debate is is valid. I think the insult... I, I think a lot, this movie has been subjected to a lot of bad faith. But, and actually also, it, it's really... It doesn't take much exertion or... Uh, you know, you don't really have to sell the idea that The Last Jedi is the best of the sequel trilogy because, it, it, I mean, frankly, it does not face a lot of competition. The Force Awakens should not be considered even allowed to run for best sequel movie because it's a, it's more or less a shot-for-shot -shot remake of A New Hope. It's very dumb. The map to Skywalker, something that this movie shreds the... like People... People are angry at, uh, you know, Rise of Skywalker for retconning Rey's parent situation. This movie took the the MacGuffin from the first movie, this dumbass map, which everybody knows is just a stand-in for the Death Star plans, because... I mean, who hires J.J. Abrams and says, like, who, who, who entrusts a franchise and goes to a guy and is like, well, what do you got? And they're like... Well, I got I got the new hope, but uh, instead of instead of a one that looks like a trash can, why don't we have like a, a volleyball as the droid? 
and then we'll put like a little little head that moves and we we can't explain the physics but it it looks cute and it'll make different more of a high pitched noise than R2 and we'll go with that and that it, and that's the movie apparently it's it's really dumb it, it, i hate the force awakens and it's not even like it's unwatchable it just it angers me that disney paid 4 billion and went and sat in a room I love I love the story of Bob Iger showing George Lucas the movie and George Lucas not being able to hide how much he hated it. Which frankly, I've been at some screenings. You know, you leave the screening and the publicist who knows you're a critic comes up to you and, and want wants your thoughts and maybe maybe they wanna just have something to go home and show their clients. I also kind of suspect the publicists do that because Maybe they think that by confronting you very quickly, you will somehow be nicer about it because you're awkward because uh, you've been confronted in person and, and been like, okay, you know, uh, this, this it was fine. And maybe you're not sure yet, but now you're locked in. Uh, that's never been me. If a publicist comes up and I hated the movie, I just look at them and I say, oof, not good, not good. Or, yeah, that was a tough one. Or all sorts of things. Uh, I, I've never had that kind of problem. So I love it that George Lucas w- was sitting in there and was like, you know, you didn't do anything new. Because everybody dumps. I'll link I'll link to I almost want to link to my article about the Phantom Menace, which is more recent. I my review of The Last Jedi, I I reread it. I use the the first person I a lot, which is something I almost never do in re- in fact, if you follow my reviews, you probably know I never really do it. I did do it in this one. I don't I don't love my Last Jedi review. It's not that I don't stand by it. I, I think I got the gist of... I was maybe a little hard, but... I mean, I gave it a fresh rating. And actually, if if you scroll through... If you look up, like, my website on Reddit or something, there is a thread of people laughing at how my review was largely negative, and yet I did come out at the end with a positive rating. That maybe I didn't do the best job of uh, justifying, but I think that this is a good movie. And I think that it has... It, it flirts with moments of greatness. There are many, many great scenes in The Last Jedi. I do understand what people like about it. I also, there's there's things, there's structural problems with The Last Jedi that irk me, because I think that if they weren't fixed, I think if they'd been fixed, and that they could have been fixed, like, for example, I, I don't know. I, I think Ryan Johnson could have made the, the Star Wars masterpiece. He, he had his themes right. His themes are fantastic. The execution, I mean, I I, I just, okay, the thing that has always really irked me, and this is not, this doesn't shape my entire sentiment of the movie, but it, it's largely indicative of the broader problems with the Last Jedi. It's the slow speed car chase. It's they, they, they this movie has an O.J. Simpson problem, and I wrote about this in 2017. Okay, Empire, the Millennium Falcon can't go to light speed, and is you know going through the galaxy, hiding from the Star Destroyers, and that that's a chase. And the Last Jedi. I guess before we get too into this, I should follow a point. It's probably when you're bouncing around as a solo episode. If The Force Awakens was a shot-for-shot remake of A New Hope, then Last Jedi is definitely not a shot-for-shot remake of uh, Empire, but you almost get the sense that it could have been shot as a shot-for-shot remake, and they jumbled it. They switched things around, like the Hoth battle is at the end with Crate. And yes, that that honestly, that's the Hoth battle. They're very similar. And it, because I mean, when you deal with a trilogy, you know, first, second, third are supposed to have kind of, uh, 
you know, you can look at a lot of trilogies and see a lot of sort of narrative structures within the, you, a movie has a three-act uh, structure, and then a trilogy is also a broader three-act structure. So, I mean, some, you're bound to run into some similarities, but with all of that said, I mean, it's not like you had to try that hard to find a lot of them. You've got, you know, they're escaping a base in the beginning of the, uh, beginning of the movie, you know, they get betrayed after going, I mean, Cloud City and Kanto Blight, like, that's maybe not the greatest comparison in the world, but they get betrayed by the guy there that they go to help. They go to look for him for help, and do they get help? No, they get, they get betrayed, and, uh, God, why did that need to happen? I have no idea. You've got, you've got all the stuff, I mean, all the stuff with Luke and Rey is basically just Luke and Yoda. I mean, it, 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 Getting, like, right down to Luke refusing to help train Rey at first. It's... And then and then on the planet, they have to have... I mean, the, the, the one single piece of Empire that generally seems to be a consensus, the weakest part, is when Luke goes and he has to face the Cloud Vader on Dagobah. They even had to rip that thing and put that in the movie. So, I mean, it's... A lot of this is just an absolute... The Dreadnought! The Dreadnought is just basically, I mean, remember the menacing shot in the beginning of Empire when we first see the Superstar Destroyer, the Executor, how big that fucking thing looked compared to the rest of them? Guess what? We If you, if you miss that, well, in this movie, they have a huge Dreadnought, which comes in later, and oh boy. I mean, the cinematography is great. The special effects are great. It's just, a lot of this is very clownish. It's clownish uh, in the way that it just sort of shamelessly... I mean, okay, you can't have... You can't make 10 movies and then have hyperdrive fuel. Like, you can say, oh, they can track us through hyperdrive. That's like a kind of uh, narrative thing that you can throw in and maybe advance the plot. Say, okay, we've made some new technology here. You can't say, oh, we can't go to jump. We don't have enough gas. We were just escaping this planet. We were Our ship was seemingly supposed to be full, and we have to assume it's full because generally when ships leave planets in Star Wars... You know, no one ever talks about running out of fuel. All of a sudden here, it's like, oh, oops, oops. We're going to run out of, we, we can only, we can do this chase until, you know, we can't stop at a BP Oil or a Getty or a Sitco or a Mobile. You know, we can't, we can't ask the uh, Star Wars version of Rex Tillerson to, you know, send us a tanker and, and refuel on the go. I mean, they... You'd think they'd be able to re- It's just so stupid. We have this big- You have this big cruiser that's apparently got a tiny, tiny-ass gas tank. And it has to because this has never been a problem anywhere else. There's never in the Return of the Jedi, Battle of Endor, you know, Lando's like, Admiral, you know, we're about to go in. You know, do you need this? You need me to cover you while you fill up at the, at the gas station? No, I mean, it's, what a stupid, stupid, stupid plot. I just- I have a very low tolerance for- Plot lines that are in a movie that cost hundreds of millions of dollars to make and a plot line that, in all honesty, probably would have been a little bit better if somebody said, hey, why don't we break for lunch now, come back, and why don't we why don't we think about this particular thing for a while because this sounds dumb. This whole fuel thing. I'm fine with them being able to track light speed. I'm not okay with the fuel. It's just dumb. We've never heard it before in Star Wars. Which is honestly, I mean, the biggest problem with the sequel trilogy is that they don't, the exposition, 
And you know, you know you have an exposition problem if somebody's asking for more exposition. Because that, you really should be able to just kind of pick up on these things and go. I mean, uh, Star Wars A New Hope, not a lot of, there's not a lot of exposition. You don't really know the mechanics of the rebellion. You just go with the flow. And you're never really sitting there. I mean, maybe you're sitting there thinking about it after you've seen the rest, the rest of the movies. But they're not that apparent. The Rise of the First Order, and people say, oh, you have to read the companion novel. I mean, yeah, you do, but you don't. You need The movies need to be able to stand up without that kind of stuff. And, frankly, the rest of them have. The prequel trilogy has a lot of nonsense, but, I mean, it, frankly, it doesn't have that problem. And The Phantom Menace is great, and you should read my Phantom Menace article I wrote, because uh, that movie brings me a lot of joy. And I will defend Jar Jar Binks until the day I die, because he did not ruin that movie. He didn't. It's a fun movie. Liam Neeson, Darth Maul, great special effects. Uh, such a nice streamlined plot. It has no downtime. It's remarkably paced. It's very unlike Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith in that regard. The pacing is fantastic. And maybe it sounds dumb. For, uh, this movie is very well paced. I'll say that as well. It's important. Pacing is important. You have these long movies. We're in, we're in this streaming era of, where a Netflix season can put out, like, ten episodes of show, and really it probably has, like, six episodes of story, and they just drag it out and out and out, and it's just like, God, why didn't you cut this? I, mean, I The streaming era should not have so many instances of just, you should have just been able to cut so much material out of a single season. Uh, so pacing is important, and The Last Jedi... I think a thing with the sequel trilogy all had to confront is the idea that, okay, the original trilogy, fairly small cast. You got Han, Luke, Leia, you got Chewbacca, you got the droids, you got, and, and really you've got Vader, and in the beginning you've got Obi-Wan. But that's, that's like kind of your group. You know, you have your people like Yoda who are in one movie, or Jabba the Hutt is in a little bit of a part. But the, the core of the trilogy is focusing on these guys. And their adventures. And that's not a big cast. People joke Leia's the only girl in the galaxy. I mean, The Last Jedi... I mean, the sequel trilogy kind of showed us, hey, when you add more people into the mix, you get problems because there's only so much time you can dedicate to all sorts of characters within the confines of a feature-length movie. And I feel almost like The Last Jedi would have worked a hell of a lot better if it had been a TV show because it could have had more time to kind of grapple with a lot of these themes. And it, it, it accomplishes a lot to see Rey sort of start off, learn a hell of a lot about uh, the Jedi, how, how Luke was just such a disaster. I don't want to... I want to stick on a theme for more than a second. Try not to cover. We have a lot. I have a lot, lot of, lot of notes. Ryan Johnson in the beginning of the movie, I mean, one of his best themes is, you know, the human side of war, which is something that Star Wars has frankly never really confronted it and maybe it should have when you think about how many casualties there were during the the new hope i mean obviously there would have been a lot more if they hadn't blown up the death star but there was a whole swarm of of x-wings and y-wings that went in to blow up the death star and three of those pilots came home you had luke wedge uh i'm blanking on whoever was in the y-wing it's not really much of a character and then the, the, the falcon came but they weren't there at the beginning huge huge battle so, I mean, you have this, you have this, uh, and heavy casualties, and, and Last Jedi starts off, you know, they go on a bombing run, Rose's sister dies, they lose all their bombers, they lose a lot of, they lose a lot of ships, it's, it's not the greatest evacuation, and that, uh, 
the expanded universe with um, the evacuation of of the moon, fourth moon of Yavin and Hoth, uh, those were supposed to have heavy casualties, but they didn't display that. So Ryan Johnson dealing with uh, he he did a really good job showing you know the rebels do have their backs against the wall. There was a line that said you know that stressed the imminence. The major systems are gonna conquer everything within weeks. Um. It's really actually, like, it's it's fascinating stuff that, uh, that, you know, this is supposed to be very imminent, and yet, God, I mean, maybe he gave the, maybe he gave the, uh, resistance too much of a beating. I don't know. They didn't really seem very, it kind of seemed like a joke at the end when they're all just, you know, the, the whole, what started as a rebellion, you know, that great ceremony at the end of A New Hope. Yeah, now you can fit all the people just on the, on the Falcon. They can all, maybe they can all just, uh, sit around the cards table. That's not, uh, it's not Sabak. I forget the name of the uh, Let the Wookiee Win game. The chess, the, you know, everyone knows what I'm talking about. Chessboard on the Falcon. It's not chess. Star Wars kind of has a scope problem right now. There are things that make the franchise feel really, really, really small. Like having everybody either be a Skywalker or a Palpatine or a Solo, having everybody be related is kind of ridiculous, or just having people constantly using Tatooine. Having Tatooine be the focal point of, like, practically every every TV show and uh, seemingly making all these appearances, that's kind of a problem. It, ma- it makes everything feel small. Fitting the entire resistance on the Millennium Falcon makes it feel small. Likewise, I mean, with the show about the single father just trying to raise his son, that, uh, you know, the feel-good family comedy The Mandalorian... One of the great things was it was like, okay, Dijin Jajarin does not know any of these people. I mean, he does sort of meet them later, but he didn't know them. And Baby Yoda, I mean, we didn't really know what he was doing. But, I mean, he he was mostly, he just wanted snacks. He didn't really care about the, and in fact, he doesn't seem to care about the being a Jedi. So, Star Wars wins when it, it expands the umbrella, and I mean, that's almost, that's, that's, that's largely true. And it doesn't do as well when it makes everything feel small. Which is my other big problem with the slow-speed car chase, because they're going just fast enough that the, uh, you know, the Star Destroyers and all of that, we've got this big, massive fleet that's just hanging behind them, and they can't engage their, they can't engage their fighters because they can't get support from the big cruisers. But, like, it, it doesn't seem like the Rebel cruiser, the Resistance cruiser, has that many ships to begin with. And it also, frankly... You've got this massive, massive, massive giant fleet. I mean, this is kind of... The more you watch Star Wars and you watch it, uh, you know, again and again and again, you pick up on how big how, how big these fleets of Star Destroyers are that, frankly, don't really do a heck of a lot. We don't see them battling all that... In fact, we see them battling very, very infrequently, and that's kind of why with Rise of Skywalker, it was so silly to just see thousands upon thousands of them because, I mean... They seem to be most menacing when, like, one or two of them are chasing the Millennium Falcon or something. They don't seem that threatening otherwise. And if, if you've ever played the video games, I mean, they're not that threatening to take down either. You know, just go for the deflector shield, little ball things at the top of the bridge, and, you know, there you go. Fun stuff. So they're not, they're not sending the, there's, the you know, the resistance is on these three, maybe, maybe there's four support vessels that are going, and they're, like, just at, it's just ridiculous. It is a, it's a slow-speed car chase, and apparently... they never seem to send more than, like, five or six TIE Fighters out at the same time. Like, 
you could kind of forgive them in the beginning of the film when they appear at the rebel base and they're about to attack because TIE fighters are generally speaking not equipped with hyperdrive units. Something that I think is a wreck. I think kind of dates back to when Obi Wan and Han saw the little ship. Like that, that that ship's too small to be out here on its own, kind of thing. Because X wings do have hyperdrive, but they need hyperdrive so that Luke can get to Dagobah without getting a lift from the Falcon. So I, I don't know. I don't have an answer as to if that's why Tie fighters have don't have hyperdrives, but X wings do. But I, I I would heavily suspect that's why. And that's also, I mean, kind of why I want to do this episode was, you know, the, the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett now have to deal with a Luke Skywalker that was largely defined by this movie. So you, they're dealing with kind of an integral post-Jedi Luke, but pre-the other Jedi, I guess. Post-Return of the Jedi, pre-Last Jedi. So, yeah, you can't really use Jedi in short, the same kind of shorthand anymore. Like, is does Snoke really care if he has to lose a couple extra troops to go take down the fighters? I mean, why is he calling them back? I have no fucking clue. It doesn't make any sense. What, what do they need those fighters for if this is the Resistance? I mean, how many fighters are on the ship? I, I used to read those, like, books that showed, like, the internal structures of all of the... I was a huge Star Wars nerd. And... I mean, they would say, like, this ship has, like, a thousand fighters. It's a big, giant ship. Where are all its little, tiny fighters? I mean, we we saw them all in The Force Awakens when Finn and Poe were escaping. Where are the fighters? Do they really care that they have to lose a couple extra grunts? I mean, how menacing... Is, is Snoke actually a good leader that he cares about his troops like that? It, it kind of seems that way. It's very odd. It, how menacing is Snoke? And Snoke's also an idiot because he's got his eyes shut. Oh, my apprentice. How does he not know he's about to be killed? I mean, seriously. What, 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 what a joke. Snoke, between the slow-speed car chase and Snoke alone, will will put Ca- Captain Phasmos in equally pretty just absolute awful, stupid, over, by definition, overhyped. Like, Boba Fett was not an overhyped character. It's a background character that fans just clung to and elevated way above where he should have been, case in point, this his stupid TV show where he's the worst character. Uh, but that was the fans that largely did that and the merchandising people, not not the actual source material. Boba Fett is not overhyped. Captain Phasma is definitely overhyped in The Force Awakens for this kind of joke of a thing. And same with Snoke. I mean, Snoke is a joke. It is very hard to call for me to call... The Last Jedi, great when you have the three-prong, quite derivative of Empire, slow-speed car chase, and Snoke. Those are all bad. Those are all huge dings in my book. And that's not to say I think it's a bad movie. Oh, people are going around going, oh my god, Last Jedi, best thing, best Star Wars we'll ever see. Like, I, I, I sincerely hope not. And actually, also, Rogue One was better. Wasn't perfect either, but damn, that was a satisfying movie. Actually, okay, Let, the themes of The Last Jedi, they're incredibly, incredibly satisfying. Luke, acknowledging that the Jedi suck. Guess what, everyone? The Jedi suck. It's not cool to want to be a Jedi. I'm not saying it's cool to want to be a Mandalorian either, because you have to, you know, imagine, you know, I get a little bit of a breakout when I have to wear a mask for a couple hours. I mean, that helmet, oh, he takes off the helmet one of the shows, and he's seen to be wearing a mustache. Like, you've got to be kidding me. You can't just say, like, hey, 
Pedro Pascal, like, I know you've got other things. The mustache has got to go, or you're not going to be... We'll find somebody else to voice this guy, because... Why the hell would he have groomed... I mean, he would have had... His face would have been totally... I must have said this in the the episode that we did uh, for that. We were doing live live recaps for all that. You can go back if you like this one. You like this rambling. It's the same, except it's shorter. We probably did about 25-minute rambles. <laughs> Luke understood that, yeah... And actually, Kylo Ren too. You know, let the past die. Kill it. Kill it if you have to. I mean, that's frankly one of the best quotes from the whole franchise. Uh, sequel, uh, original. Uh, prequels do not have a lot of great lines. Let's be honest. Uh, yeah, it's it's great stuff. And um, we also there there's such a richness to Luke's failure because, frankly, like. Obi-Wan didn't really fail Anakin. Obi-Wan was not the best teacher, and yet at the same time, Obi-Wan was never supposed to be his teacher. And, I mean, he actually... I can say he's not the best teacher. I mean, he's pretty good. He's He did his he did his best, and we all... I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm not excited that they're going to be in Tatooine for all this time again, but Ewan McGregor did a fabulous job as Obi-Wan. Mark Hamill! Mark Hamill, who behaved like a baby when this first came out, saying... God, okay, so there was this one interview where... He's complaining, and this is probably in his his pre mea culpa to Ryan Johnson era. So he's given this interview, and he says Han's death. You know, Luke would have felt it. He would have rushed there, and he would have jumped in with his, you know, lightsaber. And rah, 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 rah. I mean, look, Mark Hamill is allowed to have that fantasy because I, you know, he's Luke Sky. I mean, he didn't have the career as Harrison Ford, or frankly, really the career of Carrie Fisher either, with all the prestige. He. I mean, Star Wars really was the high point of his career, and to see, like, him being the star, the main guy, Luke Skywalker, and then, you know, he's got to be this old, crabby hermit the next time we see... I mean, okay, that's got to that's gotta suck for him. Let's all accept that. But he's also... He's an old man, and he's not a Hollywood A-lister. Like, Harrison Ford got to, like, have... You know, he got to go be Han Solo again. Luke, Luke couldn't be that guy anymore. He wasn't... He could... He, Disney was never going to pay George Lucas $4 billion and then have Mark Hamill be the face of their new franchise. I'm sorry it was never, ever, ever, ever going to happen. I love I love Mark Hamill as a DC Comics super fan. He voiced the Joker for many years. I grew up on Batman the Animated Series, played all the Arkham games. Uh, I know he voiced him at least in The Killing Joke as well, if not uh, other places as well. He also, he, he played the trickster from The Flash in both the original 90s TV show and in the Arrowverse, the Grant Gustin one. So, I do love, uh, Mark Hamill, I love him. I think he's a, such a sweet guy. I see him a lot on Twitter. I really do love him. And he, he apologized for the way he acted with Ryan Johnson, but that's all to say that Luke Skywalker, frankly, had, of the three legacy characters, so, Force Awakens was supposed to be Han's movie, Last Jedi was supposed to be Luke's movie, and in a perfect world, Rise of Skywalker would have been uh, Leia's full movie. Like, the, that, that that was apparently the plan. And, you know, obviously that didn't happen because Carrie Fisher died. And Luke Luke had a really, really, really good arc in this movie. And we, we, we just got to see, hey, the whole franchise, like, him saying, like, this is not going to go the way you think. In a lot of ways, it actually did exactly go the way you think. He said that to Rey right before she's about to leave the Porg planet. Uh, yeah, it's it's him confronting the fact that, you know, the Jedi couldn't stop Anakin Skywalker from turning. Uh, 
It's a great question of agency that I, frankly shows the flaws of... I mean, Luke's a flawed man. We saw this with him t- taking a, a, a pre-verbal baby and forcing the pre-verbal baby to make a decision between uh, his adopted father and this new guy he just met instead of just saying, hey, that's a pretty cool set of armor your dad just left. Why don't you keep that? And also, here's this cool laser sword to go with your new armor. Like, enjoy, Baby Yoda. You look fucking sick. You look great. Why don't you stay and wear the armor and we'll train you... And you don't have to decide. And you don't, we're not going to cut you off from the only guy that's anything resembling family to you. We're not going to do that. Uh, that That's a flaw that Luke couldn't see that. Because frankly, it's nonsense and the expanded universe didn't do anything like <laughs> God, did I see him in the amount of articles being like, Luke had a family! And that, yes, he did. And Han had a family. Han had a family here! I don't know. Maybe they're going to... I would assume they're probably going to fill in the blanks eventually how Luke started to not see attachment as all that bad, but he trained his sister. He trained his sister, and they knew that when they crafted this stupid uh, book of... I was about to say Mandalorian episode. whose Book of Boba Fett. didn't feel like Book of Boba Fett, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, kind of... Uh, the reason I wanted to do this episode is so that we could look at who... The question, who is Luke? Who is Luke? Luke Luke is a flawed man. We've known this. Yoda knew it. Obi-Wan knew it. Vader knew it. The Emperor knew it. They all wanted... Hum- humans are flawed. They wanted him to give in to his carnal impulses, to give in to the hate. And, I mean, frankly, he seems to be able to do that a lot because we can just go through bad decision, bad decision. I wrote an article that called him, pointed out all of his cowardice in the original trilogy. He was one of the last to do a Death Star run. He only went in after everyone else was dead. Now you can say, oh, he wasn't sent in. Yep, 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 that's all true. Also true, he was the last one. And then Empire Strikes Back. Does he uh, leave? uh, Why does he left Hoth out the back door? Nobody fought him when he was leaving. Millennium Falcon got chased. Did his X-Wing get chased? No, and there was a huge blockade. How did he sneak out through the back door, and why didn't all the other Rebels go out the exit that there weren't all the Star Destroyers on? I don't know. Is that cowardice? Uh, Frankly, I mean, we're seeing a pattern here. And, I mean, here's the other thing. Jedi, so they're supposed to go blow up the shield generator, and they have to get all these little teddy bears, the Ewoks, to help them. Does Luke help them blow up the shield generator? No. What does he do? He goes to hang out with Dad. He goes to his father. He leaves. He doesn't help them blow up the shield generator. Ewoks died. You know, they had that great party. People got blown up. Didn't look like much fun. Luke went to go see his dad. I don't know about you. I wrote an article kind of pointing out, Hey, Luke. Is Luke a coward? Luke has a pattern of actions that could be construed as cowardice. A very diplomatic way of saying yes. I no, look, I don't. I, I'm not trying to tell you that I believe that, but the the Saint Saint Skywalker Saint Luke. No, nope, 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 nope. It's ridiculous. This man, this is a flawed man, and Ryan Johnson understood that better than anyone, and he did a fantastic job. Him, he went he went into exile because of uh, his failure, and guess what? His failure was that he tried to murder his nephew in cold blood. And then his nephew woke up, saw him with a lightsaber pointed right at him, and freaked the fuck out. I mean, are we supposed to look at Kylo Ren? Uh, Kylo Ren 
another great thing about this movie is the way that he's just he's characterized as yes he's emotional yes he has a temper tantrum he bashes his helmet in the elevator but at the end of the day i mean he's a very very thoughtful man influenced yes by the dark side of the force a lot but this man is a kylo ren maybe owing to adam driver's time on girls he's a critical thinker I'm not sure we can totally say the same thing about Luke Skywalker, who's very impulsive, and guess what? The First Order got to rise, because, I mean, Luke Luke says, I'm glad that Luke said that, you know, by then, Snoke had already gotten his hands into him. Well, first of all, how, how, do you, how did you see that? Why didn't you, you know, how did you know? Why didn't you stop it? Like, to say, Snoke had already gotten his hands dug into him. Well, guess what? Like... That that seems to take a lot of your agency. Maybe you're not the all-powerful Jedi that we all thought. If you know you're aware of this creepy old, I mean, he he needs Snoke needs moisturizer so badly. I can recommend. He's got some facial. I mean, I've had a lot of facial work done. Send him to my uh, surgeon in Arizona. Maybe some great ideas. Hey, we'll start off with just slather. I will go to the store and get um, a nice restorative uh, mask. He and I, we can do facials. He's got a great ro- that robe of his is absolutely fantastic. I would if he if he brings one of those robes, I will sit and do as many facials with Snoke as he wants. Because I mean, he's a, he's an immaculate dresser. Andy Serkis, fabulous job with frankly a cardboard cut out of palpatine that the franchise just said they replaced him with the actual palpatine oh my god it's so stupid but luke is also a really 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 bad leader he is he he tried to kill a 12 year old boy i mean it's a great thought experiment would you kill baby hitler at the end of the day, like, everyone's saying yes. You're not really confronted with the idea of, like, here's this baby who hasn't done anything wrong. Now now kill this thing. 12-year-old boy. Like, you're really going to kill the 12-year-old boy? And and f- he, he thought about it too long. The answer is no. You don't kill the 12-year-old boy who hasn't done anything wrong yet. You don't. And that action, that doubt, that way that he did that. I'm sorry. Luke is the real villain here. He is. You, you, there... You cannot equivocate on killing a 12-year-old boy. You don't do that. You don't kill an innocent... He hadn't done anything wrong. You don't kill a 12-year-old boy. You don't think... You don't You don't pull a weapon and stand over while he's sleeping. You don't do that to a little boy. You just don't. Like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to draw a hard line and say Luke... Luke knew. Luke knew he, he messed up royally. He said it at the end. But, like, I think... That all of all of this, all of what I'm saying is to say that this characterization is frankly it's consistent with the Jedi. These people can appear as force ghosts and do at several times that's frankly extremely just like you're looking at them like, you know, there were a couple other points in the movie where you could have showed up and been a great help. Like why isn't Yoda going to like help Finn create a distraction in Canto Blight? He's certainly capable of doing it. The the films have never given us a you know, o- Obi-Wan as a Force ghost in Empire saying, like, he can't he can't go with him and face Vader with him. And we can all kind of accept that, yeah, you know, we're not going to have this epic battle where, you know, you've got this, this ghost cloud in Cloud City is hovering in the back being like, look, there he is. There's an opening. Get him. Get him. Get him right there. He's, he's not guarding his left side. So we'll accept that not only would that be Deus Ex Machina, I mean, frankly, Yoda appearing at will in other places would also be Deus Ex Machina. But then Yoda appears in the movie and he's like, ah, I've missed you, young Skywalker. I mean, when he's starting to get the temple, I mean, 
his, Luke's Jedi training was basically like an af, maybe a few afternoons worth of cardio and some meditation and some light gymnastics, basically. That that's that's what the future of the you know thousands of years of Jedi. It's all being banked on that. That's what we're going with. Yoda couldn't have appeared to baby Yoda and been like, hey, you know, it's important that you master your powers. No, they all made choices when to appear and when not to appear. And frankly, if 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 that's not true, if that's not the case, the franchise has not done a good job explaining why it isn't the case because you it's just it's so selective. And yeah. Probably for narrative purposes, it's better that they err on the side of not throwing Force ghosts all over the place. But, I mean, the Han Solo one, I mean, that was pretty powerful in, in Rise of Skywalker. I mean, Harrison Ford couldn't have been bothered to shave. But, uh, I, I mean, all things considered, knowing how little he gave a shit, he act, I mean, dude's a pro. He did a very good job. And Mark Hamill here, what a fantastic job. I know I was dumping on him a little earlier for... He was, he was being a little bit of a baby. And, yeah, that's a problem. You know, you got all these microphones. Uh, I don't know. You don't badmouth the director. I, I, it's not, no. You never look at doing that. Let's just, you know, graciousness is an underrated trait. Maternal advice from Ian to this podcast. Just remember, you can be really wronged by somebody, but when, when you have a chance to then dunk on them in a public sphere, maybe, maybe you're in the right. Maybe you can air your true feelings. Uh, but also maybe you could be gracious and, and maybe people will look at you and, and acknowledge that, you know, you could have been a dick and chose not to be. And there's a lot of power in that, let's just say. It was very beautiful also. I think Ryan Johnson's most powerful contribution to the Star Wars lore, which, I mean, it got un- immediately undone by J.J. Abrams. And when we talk about done and undone things with what Rise of Skywalker did, The Last Jedi, I, I always need to note also that Ryan Johnson did kill Snoke and render the map of Skywalker totally irrelevant. So, I mean, he did kind of take a dump on The Force Awakens too. I'm glad he took the dump. It was a pleasant dump, but he did take a dump on it too. So when Rise of Skywalker dumped on Last Jedi, I mean, frankly, the toilet was overflowing with crap at that point of people who had dumped. And there was people who had been covered in poo. That's gross. That's disgusting. I'm not gonna edit that out. Um. Yeah, I mean it, it's 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 true though, and I mean, Ray's like, show me my place in all of this, and it's beautiful to say to her, you know, you're you're nobody. Anybody can be like this, but at the end of the day, Luke is still able to say you have raw strength. So she was chosen. But Luke's also been down this road before. He was down this road with Baby Yoda. I mean, Last Jedi didn't know that he would have been down that road. At the, guess what? It Disney had been able to plan things. That was a great beauty. Look, A New Hope, and you could uh, some movies like The First Matrix, for example, and uh, The First Pirates of the Caribbean, they get made. They're, those weren't necessarily supposed to be trilogies. And then they're so popular, they're like, oh yeah, let's do two more, do them back to back, and then a lot of characters appear in the second, then also appear in the third, and cliffhangers, and all of that. The, the synergy is... Way greater. And the synergy here could have been so, 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 so good. But it wasn't. It wasn't at all. For no reason. They had all the time in the world to make these. Billions and billions of dollars. They could have hired the best writers on the planet. Did they hire the best writers on the planet? No, they did not. And I sound like, uh, you know, do I have $5? Five? I, I could definitely do that at, a, at an auction. If anybody if anybody needs a new auctioneer, I'm, I, you know, just, you, 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 uh, ITM at Uh <laughs> R.I.P. Admiral Akbar. You know, some people got really upset. I, yeah, okay. 
I mean, they, they apparently Nine Numb died in the uh, sort of off camera in Rise of Skywalker, and he has a big role in the Rise of Resistance ride at Disneyland and Disney World. I thought that was kind of bullshit. Um, you know, the whole thing with with Kylo and Rey uh, being like connected. You know, there are two sides of the same quesadilla. Uh, that that that's some interesting stuff. I liked that. I like them being able to talk. It it, it gave. If you think about. Uh, one thing I've noticed if you rewatch Empire billions and billions of times, you notice that Vader says good, good, a lot, but he's always angry. And frankly, a lot of things are going his way, so he does not have a lot of things to be angry about. He's saying good constantly. Kylo Ren, I mean, he has uh, he has that one scene with Snoke, uh, chastised for being a failure. Basically, Snoke's like, I'm trying to dump you, like, uh, like Palpatine wanted to do with Vader. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Franchise repeating itself. Uh, his scenes with Ray. I mean, guess what? Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, fantastic actors. Uh, great chemistry. Uh, it's good stuff. It's it's a lot of fun. I want to, you know, I'll dump on the slow speed car chase. It's, it's okay. I mean, Luke, Ryan Johnson understands Luke Skywalker. And the more I watch The Last Jedi, I, sometimes I skip some of the scenes. I, I, I go when... When you deal with all of the Luke stuff, this is a man who knew the direction to send Luke Skywalker in. It's a, it's a fabulous, it's a fabulous arc. I really, I really enjoyed it. And actually, the Ken Blight stuff, I gotta say, a lot of people are, like, dump on it. It is about as close as, as a Disney franchise has really gotten to, like, Mark's with the military-industrial complex. you got Ken Blight. These are all warmongers. They sell weapons. These are profiteers. That's capitalism. Dwight Eisenhower, who is the last, probably the last politician we'll ever have who got elected president and had never been uh, in any office, but he was a general, and that's something like Washington and uh, Grant. It, it, it happened a lot in history. It's probably not going to happen again. Dwight Eisenhower, military man, big hero, all of that stuff. Really, really, in his closing, his farewell speech, really went after the idea of the military-industrial complex. And he was 100% right in terms of the course of what was happening in American politics. The idea of forever wars. And, I mean, we've got... I'm aware of the fact that this episode will be listened to for years on end. We literally just... the Russia just invaded Ukraine yesterday, so... It's kind of interesting to think about all of that within this context, but the broader story is capitalism. And capitalism likes war. You get to make more stuff. Make an industry makes a lot of money when people go to war. Peace, peace is 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 not quite as profitable. And they did that. They did that in a way that didn't seem like totally contrite. I mean, uh, like totally totally contrived or any anything like that. It felt somewhat natural. It, it was a little clunky. But at the end of the day, I, I don't know. I think Finn. I think Finn and Rose got. It's weird how at the end of the movie Poe meets Ray for the first time because one thing that they didn't crib from Empire was you know Empire had that little moment had, had a couple scenes where Han and Leia and Luke and the whole gang got to be together. This one they make it to the second the end of the second movie before two of the three major new characters actually get to meet. So that's kind of cool. But uh, Finn needed something to do. This is a character that we invested in heavily. He's a major part of The Force Awakens. And it's kind of unclear what the, the rest uh, rest of the movie wanted, rest of the series wanted to do with him. I think Canto Blight was, Canto Blight, I have it in my notes as Canto Blight, uh, is, uh, you know, that was, it's, it's, it's really, it's not that bad. The Phasma sneaking onto the ship, 
Millennium Falcon able to just like pop in and out. I mean, these these ships have such bad radar. I don't. I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll we'll give some suspension display. And I'll defend. I I think Finn and Rose, frankly, they have one of the better arcs in the movie. I enjoyed that. Kelly Kelly Marie Tran really enjoyed herself. John Boyega really enjoyed himself. They're fun to watch. All the new guys are fun to watch. Oscar Isaacs is fun to watch. Daisy Ridley is fun to watch. Adam Driver is fun to watch. The guy who plays General Hux is fun to watch. I'm forgetting his name. Uh, it's fun stuff. They found they found some good. I, thank God, because I mean it's not that hard. You cast everybody under everybody on the planet wants to be in a Star Wars. They found some good people. So it's this movie. This is a very well acted movie. I have no like Mark Hamill does really well. Uh, Carrie Fisher. I mean she doesn't get enough uh, enough screen time, which is unfortunate, especially in in light of her her passing. Uh, Laura Dern does a fun guy, the whole holdo, the holdo maneuver. You know, that's fun. You know, if, if you follow George Lucas's thesis that these movies should bring something new to the table, you have the uh, Ray Kylo Ren conversations. They're kind of linked. They're like a tetrarch or whatever, whatever the next uh, diet, dyad, dyad. It's, it's, it's gotta be two. I will say that, you know, I've always, I wrote I, in college, we're talking like 2011, I would write poems about Chewbacca not getting a medal. It really annoyed me. And they call him the walking carpet. Roger Ebert was really annoyed about Chewbacca in one of his uh, reviews that he wrote in the 70s or the 80s. It was for one of the original three. He was thinking, like, you know, do they talk when, you know, when the cameras aren't rolling, just Han and Chewie? He really, he really didn't like Chewbacca. And that's always bothered me because Chewie's, Chewie's always down to help. He's never like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. The only time he really made a mistake was in Jedi when he there was the dead animal that he smelled that he wanted to... I don't really know what he wanted to do with the, the dead animal, but it was a trap. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, Luke... <sighs> I feel like it was really awkward that R2 and Chewie were on the Millennium Falcon, on the planet, and the film did its best to acknowledge them, but... it. Probably would have been better if they dropped Ray off really and left because it, it was it was just it was an awkward awkward dynamic to have two of the two two people that Luke was closest to and they tried the scene where he's like you know where's Han learns all of that I don't know Chewie should have been able to knock some more sense into him because Chewie was Chewie was just such, such unwavering loyalty they screwed up they had Leia hug. Ray instead of Chewie at the beginning of the, I mean, uh, in in the beginning of the trilogy in the previous movie. Uh, also, you know the Luke Force projection made from like great cinematography. I've seen it a few times, including yesterday when I was doing my rewatch for my notes. Look, we talked earlier about Star Wars being small or big, and and kind of whether the movies are successful or not is is largely based on uh, how big they make the universe. But this universe does apparently... I mean, the Falcon seems not to have any problems with fuel going light speed all over the place. Uh, that's never been a problem. They, uh... You know, this is a universe where you can supposedly get pretty much anywhere in a day. And, uh, Luke... Luke, who has an X-Wing there. And the X-Wing can fly, we know. It, the X-Wing, part of it was his door in this movie. But Ray's able to fly it in the next one. Luke can't show up in person? Like... <sighs> I've always struggled with the idea that if the first movie is finding the map to Skywalker, how do you deal with the fact that he doesn't want to come? In this movie, part of it is him learning to come. Uh, not at all sexual. Don't let your minds go there. <laughs> he 
He almost certainly does have that problem, though. Right up. No, never mind. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's got to be true. <laughs> Why can't he just fly? Why can't he fly to Crate, Salt Planet? That's just Hoth. And they had that dumb exposition of the guy noticing the footprint, and you can see that Luke's not making any footprints. Like, that cinematography, eh, they're fainting to it a little, little, little bit too hard, maybe. Why can't he just go there? Why does he need to be projecting himself? How far is it on his X-Wing? Seriously, pull it out of the water and fly the fucking X-Wing. I don't know. Because they they did such a good job in the beginning when, when Ray comes, and he's like, what do you think I'm supposed to do? Go take the First Order on with my laser sword? Which obviously set up what he did. Um, but it's a good point that the Jedi, the Jedi can't just solve all these problems, and in a lot of ways they can, and maybe, I don't know, did Anakin Skywalker maybe appear, want to appear as a Force ghost to Kylo and say, like, don't do this? What, is he not able to? I mean, what, he's able to talk to Rey at the end. I mean, it's just nonsense. But I don't know. It's still kind of sad that Luke didn't come. Talking Luke, Luke talking to uh, Leia was really touching. Carrie Fisher handled that really well. Uh, you, you know, the, the whole battle at the end, it was just kind of silly, and it was just basically Hoth again. Silly, silly stuff. But, I mean, it was entertaining. I liked Crate. I liked Rose saving Finn. And then she got knocked out. I mean, that that could have really been a disaster. But, I mean, it was, in, it was, it was all very interesting to watch. I mean, to see Yoda with his carefree attitude being like, you know, page turners, they were not with the book. Um, it, it really undercuts the level of seriousness both at play and then also just the value of, of all this Jedi training, which apparently Gragu needed, but they didn't want to give it to him. Because he wanted to... His dad made him some armor. I mean, come on, guys. It's, it's just... Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's just... Uh, good, bad, being made up terms. That's another thing that this film... Uh, it, Star Wars is the ultimate battle of good versus evil, so it's kind of ironic for somebody like Benicio Del Toro to, to his character to just throw that kind of stuff around. But it's true. I mean, he's got a bad code breaker. Uh... It's, it's, uh, I, this, this is a flawed movie, I guess is what I'm trying to say. The idea of fighting what we hate instead of saving what we love. I mean, t wait, go tell that to the people in Ukraine. That's not really going to work. Um, I don't know. It's just, how do they not send ships after the Falcon when it's screwing around? That's another annoying thing. When the Falcon, uh, they have the, they have the battle through like the salt mine, like, the TIE fighters are following him, uh, the Falcon, Chewie, and Ray are in there, and it's kind of like, okay, not only is this riffing off Empire with the asteroid field, they then basically kind of riff off Empire with going to pick up Luke at the bottom of Cloud City. Like, the the film ends with the, the Falcon uh, staging a uh, nice little rescue uh, in the midst of Imperial fire. First Order, yeah, Imperial... <sighs> It's a little, it's it, it's clunky at times. It's got to, it's it's clunky. It's clunky that they're uh, having to riff off Empire so much and just kind of like do the beginning of Empire at the end with some other stuff. Uh, I don't know. We see a flawed Luke, and and really you shouldn't. The film's trying to tell us two kind of different things though, because they're supposed to be the spark that lights the flame, and and they end with the kids telling stories about all of that. So they're elevating the need for heroes, and yet they're also reminding you that heroes are flawed people. You you can't just put all of your faith in these people. 
Luke Skywalker, one man can't save you. And yet at the same time, it's kind of like, well, one ship can actually stop the whole, the, the whole, the whole First Order. I don't know. It's, it's very mixed messages. And yet at the same time, I mean, honestly, what's best about Empire Strikes Back is, is how often it just feels like a stage play. It's not really about, it, it's, it's not at times the most plot heavy film it's really about these characters who these people are in relation to each other and that's why 40 years later we're still engaging with these people my more than four years 1977 i was thinking of empires in the 80s 80 81 or 82 um i throwing the 81 number around a lot this episode last jedi understood a lot of that and the ground that it made on uh you know characterizations for ray for finn for kylo ren and for luke are top notch you know and i can forgive the fact that like c3po and r2 and chewie have basically been relegated out of existence for this matter in this within this particular episode basically so is bb8 who i thought was kind of dumb uh it's just interesting this this film i guess <sighs> Initially, I, I kept like thinking to myself as we were beginning to record, uh, and and as I was kind of plotting what I wanted to do in this episode uh, earlier, I, I was thinking to myself, "Don't start off talking about whether you think it's great or not, because you're going to alienate people who come into this thinking that it really is great." And the answer is, I'm like, I'm I'm really kind of grappling with the idea of whether this is a great movie or not. It does a lot. It has great themes. That alone should should kind of set it over the bar and say yeah it's great it has a lot of it has just things that i could have just ah i would have loved to have just been in there and said hey maybe let's think of something a little bit better than oj slow speed car chase maybe they don't run out of fuel maybe maybe we do this a little bit different maybe they don't have to be chasing them behind the whole time and maybe snoke doesn't have to have this unreasonable uh desire to protect fighters we gotta know he doesn't give a shit about all of that and Snoke, I mean, okay, we get that really, really great battle scene with Rey and Kylo Ren against the Knights of Ren. That's awesome. And the it's almost actually hard to watch the film version because the there have been some Britney Spears remixes where they dub that onto the fight. It's really cool. Uh, but, I mean, that was fun. It doesn't really make up for the fact that Snoke was just this absolute worthless character. This movie has some flaws. But, I don't know. I mean, I, I enjoy it. And I enjoy it in a way that I really don't for the other two. They're watchable, sure. Uh, like the Rise of Skywalker, not so much. But uh, they do some things. God, I'm, people made fun of my original review. I was like, you know, some things blew up, some things happened, and some there were some space battles. Good enough for me. I don't know. I walked out of this movie when I first saw it entertained, but I was always kind of looking at the rest of how other people were engaging with it and thinking like, oh, this is art. This is, this is an art film. This is beautiful. This is the best Star Wars of them all. Okay. My ranking, I would go Empire, A New Hope, Rogue One, Jedi, uh, Phantom Menace, and then I would do uh, Last Jedi, and then I'd probably do uh, Revenge of the Sith, Force Awakens, Rise of Skywalker. No, okay. Solo is probably after The Last Jedi. Solo is a decent movie. Maybe we'll do an episode on that. If you want an episode like that, please reach out if there's interest. Uh, I, I 
Solo, Solo is a pretty solid film. It did not. It, it has too. It, it gets bogged down by too many callbacks. But that's kind of what I say about Empire Strikes Back. I mean, uh, not Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Phantom Menace. You can't just blame all of it on Jar Jar. You have to. You know, you can't just look at the the most obvious thing. I mean, they have to say why he's named Solo. They have to show how he gets his gun. I mean, give me a fucking break. Uh, too 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 much explaining. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's that's a solid movie. A lot of great performances. Donald Glover as Lando. I mean, that was that was spectacular. He did such a fabulous job, and uh, they all did. I mean, it was a is well. It's a well made film. I actually think the film is way better than anyone gives it credit for. Uh, Last Jedi is better. Last Jedi is. It's a, it's a more ambitious film than Rogue One was too, because Rogue One got to slot itself. It got to be a direct prequel to A New Hope. I mean, it had it had it had the it had the ability to kill its cast off. Uh, you know, other films have to be parts of trilogies, but this one could have been part of a trilogy that was a bit more cohesive than what we ended up with. That's for sure. So I mean, I don't know. I'm not giving Disney a lot of slack in a lot of this. They choose to film in Tatooine because it's cheap to film in a pile of rocks, or they go to uh, Navarro or Jakku. Well, they haven't been to Jakku, but all the same pile of rocks with a slightly, ever so slightly different color scheme. I don't know. This is this is a fun movie. Uh, Poe Poe probably gets the shittiest arc. Uh, you know the demoted, all the leadership stuff. Uh, Hodo. I don't. I'm. They they're doing their best. It's a constrained. It's it's it, there's a lot of characters that have to fit into this film, and you know what? Above all else, Luke wasn't in Force Awakens. This had to be his sort of movie. This had to be the movie that was about this guy who we invested all those years in learning about, rooting for, and we had to understand that at the end of the day, you know, it actually probably was for the best the Jedi would end. The Jedi, they're flawed. This club that's supposed to have thousands of years of tradition, and you know they're screwing around like this. They're cavalier. It takes like a few. It seems to take a few hours to be a Jedi if you're Ray or Luke. Uh, it's a mess. Uh, Luke tried to kill a twelve-year-old boy. Not not good. Um, these aren't the best teachers in the world. But you can look up to somebody and also recognize that they're flawed. And I I think I think it's that's kind of what the Luke Leia scene is so powerful. Uh, they both. I mean, they both did fuck. Oh, Luke, Luke fucked up way more, but there was a mess made, and uh, there was love. And I think that's kind of also part of the human experience is acknowledging that, you know, when things don't go your way, uh, you know, it's easy to really blame somebody. And, you know, maybe they did make some mistakes, but, I mean, it is... You don't want to you don't want to rage at somebody who you love, who, who screwed up. You want to... You wanna, in some ways, also be grateful that they're there to own up and apologize, and that they're on your side. As I get older, the idea of having people who are uh, community, who are kin, who are on your side, I mean, that's very important. And Luke, people want him to be this giant hero. I think we have to understand that Luke was always flawed, beyond just the jokes of the original trilogy that I made. I mean, he's a flawed man. He's a very whiny, whiny little child at the beginning of the film series and he grew up a little bit but he he didn't grow up that much there's there's warts along the way there's not film often ends and it's like happily ever after and they don't get a sequel this this franchise forces to confront what happily ever after looked like and it didn't give us as much exposition as it did but last jedi i mean last jedi is a it's 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 a it's a damn good movie it's it's fun to watch i came out of this i didn't know what to expect i've seen it this was probably the fifth time i'd seen it 
and I, I'd, it, first time I'd seen it in, in, in a long time, a year, I've been meaning to watch it. We've just had all this other stuff that's been going on. Uh, I, I, I sat down and I, I really enjoyed it in a way that I hadn't. And I, I felt like I, I understood where Ryan Johnson was coming from. I really agreed with all of his Luke choices. Uh, I don't think my criticisms against it are nitpicking, but at, at, at the end of the day, I look at what he did, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that he, he, he really engaged with this material because I, I don't think J.J.—you cannot say the same about J.J. Abrams. You just can't. It's sad. You could—and I like his I like his Star Wars movies, the uh, Star Trek movies, sorry, the the Into Darkness one with I mean, uh, with, with Cumberbach as uh, Khan is, is kind of an abomination, but uh, he did some—there's some interesting stuff there. I could see why they wanted him to do Star Wars after that. This movie, this this movie gives you a lot to think about, and uh, you know I, I hope if you're somebody who who engages with the Last Jedi uh, in a in a if you feel strongly one way or another, and I hope if if you made it to the end of this, I mean this pretty long episode, especially for Solo, if you uh, made it to the end, I, I hope you I hope you see where I'm coming from because I I really tried to engage in this in an earnest sense and, and with a thoughtfulness that uh, I mean it was probably not on display in, in my first review in 2017, uh, and I grew up with Star Wars. I grew up really loving the Star Wars that had been presented to me, the expanded universe, all the richness. Not all of it, obviously, but a lot of it. And just that lore. and That was ripped from us in 2015 when they took away the expanded universe. And a lot of people are very angry at the way of what Disney put in its place. And for a lot of great reasons. A lot of it was derivative. A lot of it was just downright bad. But Last last Jedi, they didn't always, they didn't hit every mark. But throughout this movie, they were, they were trying. And I, c- I cannot say that really for the Rise of Skywalker. That was effortless sludge crap. <laughs> it really was. This uh, this is an interesting one. Anyway, I think that's a good point to wrap up. Uh, just a reminder, please uh, hit a uh, give us a rating, a review. Uh, if you've made it to the end, want to show some support, check out my albums. Anyway, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this. I I really enjoyed uh, the amount of time that I mean I knew this was part of why this had been delayed. I knew this would this would take a very long time to to get off the ground and do. Glad I did it. I feel really good about this movie and I enjoyed it and I enjoyed all the time that I spent with it. I hope I hope you felt the same. This is all with love. I love Star Wars and I think the past like 5 or 6 years I've been trying to to understand what what loving Star Wars means in this world. And I love the comics. I'm a huge Dr. Aphra fan seeing Black Chrysanthemum. The Wookiee uh, from uh, the Darth Kieran Jones, excellent Darth Vader comic. Uh, he got to appear in the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, he has both his eyes though, which is a little odd. Um, those are great. It, all of Kieran Jones' comics, highly, highly recommend. He did Vader, and then he did Doctor Aphra. I don't love, 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 love the the mainline Star Wars book. That's had a couple different writers, but uh, I still engage with it. I'm I'm trying. It's Trek, Trek, Trek won my heart. I'm a Trekkie. I, I grew up a Star Wars diehard. I've definitely crossed paths a little bit, but yeah, they can coexist. You can love them both. And I, as I get older, I'm 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 enjoying rediscovering my love of Star Wars. I do love this stuff, and if you're here to the end, you do too. And uh, on that note, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>